today on Ag News Daily. Standing up our Farm Bill provisions is, uh, for example, equip provision. Got to work in northwest Iowa, but it's also got to work in uh, southern Louisiana. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another podcast here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Selene Howell joined by Mike Pearson. Mike, are you going to be going to Tulip Time this weekend? Oh, shoot. You know, I, I don't think that I am. <laughs> Tulip Time for our listeners outside the state of Iowa is in Pella, Iowa, a town with a rich Dutch heritage. Mm-hmm. And uh, they grow just a pile of tulips every year up and down their streets. And they do what? First weekend in May every yes. year is their special tulip festival. That's right. It's this weekend. Are you going down? I was thinking you about taking it. Taking the, uh, the gentleman with you. Well, it's also the make him first... see some flowers. <laughs> yeah, it's also the first weekend for the Des Moines Farmers Market this weekend, so that's top priority. But I was thinking about going to Tulip Time maybe on Sunday. My parents were talking about meeting up and going, and I've never been, so I kind of think it'd be cool to go just one time. Oh, absolutely! See some, see some tulips. See some of that proud Dutch heritage on display. Mm-hmm, absolutely. The other thing I'm excited about, besides tulip time, maybe going there this weekend, is today is Scoops of Thanks Day for Culvers, which means you can get your favorite scoop of Culvers ice cream for just a dollar, and they will donate that all the money that comes from that scoops to agricultural education programs and FFA programs across the U.S. Oh, very cool. So, yeah, if you're going to go to Culver's, today's the day. That's right. I don't usually go to Culver's just for ice cream, but I might today. Well, or you can go for a butter burger and get some ice cream at the end. I know. They do have good burgers. People from, like, the South are like, oh, well, what are your specialty? Like, because the South has, like, In-N-Out and Whataburger. I'm like, well, we have Culver's. And they're like, what is a cheese curd? I had an Uber driver ask me that when I was in Texas a couple weeks ago. She's like, what is a cheese curd? Oh, that poor, poor person. <laughs> He's been living, or she's been living yeah, under a rock. I know. They just don't have them down there in Texas, I guess. Oh, listen, Texas. I know you hi- hold yourselves in high esteem, but uh, mm-hmm. you got to get cheese curds on the menu down there. Mm-hmm. I'm never going back to Texas. I know. They're so good. And actually, while we're speaking on the dairy industry, the USDA just released some fresh data. Dairy producers, I'm sorry if you are between 100 to 200 cows. I know that we've got some smaller folks that listen. We've got Gary Rasmussen on the podcast tomorrow, who is a dairy farmer from the Uper area in Michigan. But the latest USDA data shows that producers with 100 to 200 cows lost a year on average $7.18 for every 100 pounds of milk they produced in 2018 after all of their production costs were factored in, which included, of course, hired labor, taxes, insurance, cost of cattle, etc. But for farmers with more than 2,000 cows, the loss was just 59 cents per hundredweight. So we really saw a pretty big jump there. 100 to 200 cows versus 2,000 cows. And that compares to 2017 numbers where small operators lost 395. So they saw a twofold jump there in the 100 to 200 cows lost. Yeah. 
I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a, a terrible time to be in the dairy industry. Mm-hmm. Those folks are working overtime, bringing us ice cream and milk and cheese curds and not breaking even. So, folks, yeah. get out there. Drink as much fluid milk as you can. We, we got to support our, our friends and family, in some cases, in the mm-hmm. dairy industry. They need it, and they give us a fantastic product. Yeah, and just as a quick recap, I think we've talked about it a little bit on the, before on the podcast, but we've got that new dairy margin coverage program, which is specifically targeted for those 250 cow smaller farms and yesterday the University of Wisconsin released a tool like a decision making tool to help you figure out if that plan is the best coverage program for your operation. All right. Yeah, folks, check that out. Uh, we'll be talking to Bill Norby later in the podcast, Undersecretary of, of FPAC at USDA, and he mentions that they are really pushing hard to make sure that program works for you. So so stay tuned and then hop on there, get to that University of uh, Wisconsin site and, you know, make some decisions. Yep, absolutely. Well, I've got some news here that uh, was reported on by Drovers, and I think some of our listeners down in Missouri may have seen it. And Delaney, this is one of those things... All right. Here's the story. We had some pretty devastating flooding right across ranch country earlier this year. We saw it in Nebraska, in Missouri, in Iowa and South Dakota. Tragedy for families, a tragedy for livestock, a heartbreaking event all the way around. Guess who is taking advantage of this heartbreaking event to push an agenda? I don't know who. PETA. The people Mm. for the ethical treatment of animals. They are taking some of their donors' money, and they are going to erect billboards in areas that saw flooding devastation. And the billboards are going to say things like, quote, approximately one million calves were killed in the flooding across the Midwest. Many of those dead bodies wiped up, washed up along riverbanks. They're trying to show that by supporting the protein industry— you caused the death of these animals and mm. it is disgusting and it is they're they're vultures preying on people's sensibilities and and using a tragedy that has affected a lot of folks in agriculture to push their garbage agenda and uh yeah i hate it i so like if to you say see these billboards that yeah what do you want to say delaney no i i was gonna say PETA in my mind stands for people eating tasty animals you darn right that's <laughs> that's the best one it's like yeah um, so uh, they're going up first in Kansas City. So listeners in around Kansas City, if you see these billboards, um, take a picture of them, you know, shoot it at us on Twitter. I want to see that what these look like in person, just how ugh, ugh, just disgusting. I mean, it's just two people died in these floods mm-hmm. and they're ugh, they're worried about God, the animals. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm worried about the animals, too. Everybody hates seeing cattle get lost mm-hmm. and, and wash up on riverbanks. But PETA's not doing anything to go out there to rescue those animals. When that flooding was happening, PETA wasn't out there in their tractors running through, you know, waist-high water, risking life right. and limb to feed these critters. They were in New York and in downtowns, you know, sipping on their whatever vegan nut juice cappuccino <laughs> thing. Sorry, you... I'm getting hot. Go to the next subject. <laughs> All right, I will gladly move on to the next subject. Uh, okay, well, this is just going to add fuel to your fire, I'm sure, but Good. <laughs> just a little bit. We are seeing the biotech, animal biotech industry ramp up at the FDA level. The FDA has said that they are expanding their capacity to handle scientific and risk-based evaluation of biotech animals, such as the meatless meat or the cultured meat that we've been talking about so closely here. As we know, FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb has stepped down. 
Now we've got Ned Sharpless, who has stepped in as the acting commissioner, and he said it's really important that they figure out the best way to go about uh, essentially risk management of these tools. And he said this has the great potential to address, they have the great potential to address animal health issues and other health needs, and to make sure that genetic modification is safe to the animal, that it does not do that it does what it's supposed to do and that any food producing animal is safe to eat or non food producing animal in, in cultured food animal in that case. Would you consider how do I want to ask this? If you take a cell from an a living animal and then you culture that, it's not technically an animal anymore, right? Well, now this is a very, very hot topic and it's it's one I'm list I'm interested in getting our listeners' thoughts on. Um yeah, it's not an animal, but it's still meat, right? I mean, it comes from meat tissue. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's it's an interesting thing to think about. It is. Strange, but interesting. Yes, for sure. Um, I've got a story here. As long as we're talking about uh, alternate proteins, I mentioned yesterday that vegan burger maker Beyond Meat went public today. Mm. And... Smashing success is the words I would use to describe it. The market was anticipating, or I should say, Beyond Meat had their shares priced at $25 when they sold them this morning. They almost doubled in the first couple minutes of trading, went from $25 up to $50 and, uh, and excuse me, opened at $46 and surged up to $50. And uh, then they were halted due to volatility. And as of last I checked, they were trading a little over $59 a share. So vegan meat, this beyond meat has made uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Bill Gates and a lot of these other shareholders some big money in day one of open market trading. I think I'd buy them day one and sell out. If you bought them at 40 and you sold them at 59 or 60, just get rid of them. Yeah. Might as well. If you're looking yeah, to make put a 20 quick... bucks in your pocket and walk away. Yeah. Per share. A story that we were talking about, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, April 1st, Burger King started selling the Impossible Burger, their vegetarian hamburger, in the St. Louis metro area. That was the where they're going to test it. Well, apparently, the test has been successful. Today, they are going to roll that burger out nationwide. So anybody is going to get just spend a dollar extra in working and get a salad on a bun. All right. Well, I will not be joining people to get that sandwich. Just that's just me personally. Um, well, we're talking about meat. We saw China block imports from two different Canadian firms uh, over the week here. We saw that reflected in the weekly export sales. I thought this was interesting because obviously they need pork, but they are rejecting two Canadian firms. They can't. We can't confirm yet what those firms are for sure. Um, but Chinese custom codes are pointing to Olimel and Drummond export companies, both of which are located in Quebec. They said that the reason that they are not taking these shipments is because exporters used outdated forms that don't certify the cargoes meet Chinese requirements. But they are definitely hurting for pork. And I thought this was interesting that why are they turning around to shipments when U.S. pork has you know, a tariff on it. It's not going to be any cheaper here, but yet they turned those Canadian pork exports back around. Got all the way there, turned them around. 
Yeah. Well, you know, they're still having that dispute over the the Huawei executive, and uh, they're taking it out on Canada. That's how it's looking, more and more so. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news. What do you have to report? Well, one other thing I was watching here is soybean farmers that are maybe not so hot on paying federal checkoff dollars. We're seeing the USDA now issue in their federal register on Wednesday a notice that would essentially allow producers to vote on whether or not they continue doing a federal checkoff for soybeans. They need about 10% of more than 15, excuse me, there's 515,000 producers pooling their money currently into checkoff dollars. At least 10% of those folks would have to say that they would like to see a vote, which would be triggered by May 31st. And currently only 324 farmers have done so. So USDA is saying it's not likely that that will happen, but I thought that was an interesting little piece of news here as well. Absolutely. That is fascinating. I didn't realize that was anything to be under discussion. Yep, apparently so. All right. Well, Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump into the markets and see how things close for the day? Let's do it. Well, folks, our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with them and use their assistance in managing your market risk by giving them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got mixed trade again today in the grain markets with corn slightly higher. The July contract was up two cents today at 370 and a half, with December up three quarters of a penny to finish at 387 even. Beans were the loser. The July contract down eight and a half cents finished at 843 and a quarter november down eight even to close at 865 even and wheat chicago wheat up again today the uh, excuse me, july contract up eight cents on the day at 444 even with december up eight and a quarter, bringing us to a close at 467 and three quarters jumping into the world of livestock Weakness today in the cattle complex. Uh, June live cattle off 20 cents on the day at 113.6750. The August down 80, closing at 110.17 and a half. Big losers in feeder cattle. The May contract down $2.40, closing at 138.975. The August down $1.32.5, bringing us to finish at 147.90. And mixed trade in lean hogs with the May down a dollar even at 86.10. And the June up a dollar. Dollar fifty-two fifty to finish at ninety-two seventy-five and a half. Jumping in to take a look at the dairy market real quick here. In class three milk, we've got a little bit of strength. The May contract was up six cents on the day at sixteen eighteen, and the June was up ten to close at sixteen thirty-six. Well, Mike, I'm really excited. We're starting a new segment here on the Agnews Daily Podcast to be played every Thursday. It's called the Hot Rod Farmer Minute with our friend and fellow podcaster Ray Bohax. <laughs> Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute with Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter Podcast. With giddy anticipation, we are all anxious to get out into the field and begin planting. The seed meters are calibrated, soil testing has been done, the perfect hybrid is in the hopper, and the tractor has been completely serviced, or has it. We thought of everything except the need to treat the diesel fuel. A misconception being fuel only needs to be treated in the winter. A diesel engine operates on a unique principle of combustion. 
the chemical composition of the fuel impacts how that occurs. Diesel fuel is a commodity and it is traded like grain. The product has the minimum combustion and lubricity properties required by law. The composition of the fuel will have an impact not only on how the engine runs, but its consumption and future repair costs. The diesel fuel the refinery produces, for the most part, is at odds with the requirements of the engine. Unadditized diesel is base fuel, and in most instances that is what you are buying. Even if you source a premium fuel, you do not know its chemical composition. Lubricity is paramount with both mechanical injection and modern common rail systems. Not treating diesel fuel will be like planting seed without any additional nutrients. The plant will grow but will not yield. The engine will run but not much more can be said. The key is to use a high quality additive that addresses all the needs. Not all products do that. Think of it in terms of modes of action as you would herbicide. You want a year-round additive that can enhance lubricity, increase cetane, clean the injectors, improves combustion, and removes deposits from the combustion chamber while controlling winter gelling. It is easy to enjoy lower equipment costs and longer service life from your engines. Just treat all the fuel year-round and give it no more thought. Have a safe and blessed planting season. If you enjoyed this Hot Rod Farmer Minute, I invite you to listen to the Idle Chatter podcast on the Global Ag Network and visit thefarmmachinerydigest.com, where steel and soil meet. Without further ado, folks, we're going to kick it over to our Undersecretary of Ag in charge of farm production and conservation, my conversation with Mr. Undersecretary Bill Norby. Well, folks, on the phone with us today is Undersecretary of Agriculture, Mr. Bill Northy. Mr. Northy, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Hey, Mike, great to be with you. Now, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit because uh, looking out at the forecast, we've got a lot of wetness on the horizon, and we still have a lot of states dealing with the devastating floods that happened here, uh, oh gosh, within the last month. Bring us up to speed, Bill. What has USDA been working on to help get those growers back into the field or at least keep their balance sheets intact for one more year? Well, there are several pieces out there. You know, we're we're actually right now almost record low drought. Uh, What that's moved us into is a lot of flooding and and too wet ground in some areas. So so if a farmer is trying to plant a crop, uh, we've got a few more weeks in in a lot of the the states, uh, certainly in the Midwest, our part of the world, Iowa, until late planting dates, the end of May. Uh, but there's prevent plant and crop insurance. I think most folks are familiar with their, their provisions. They they certainly want to be able to get the crop in the ground, but there's some provisions there. Uh, we have for those areas that have been flooded. Uh, maybe they had a levee go out along the river. Obviously, folks are familiar with the, the Missouri River. We now have some issues over in the east side of the state, I think, as well, uh, where we had some levees go out. In those cases, um, it, there's going to be sand or silt on a field or other debris that's out there. We have a program called uh, Emergency Conservation Program uh, that's offered through our state Farm Service Agency uh, service centers in each of our counties. Uh, I think some folks in those areas are familiar, um, obviously in Nebraska too, uh, where they're able to apply for some cost share to clean up debris, to move sand and silt back off of fields. 
In some cases, that started because uh, they've been able to get to stuff. In other cases, uh, that's still underwater out there, but that's available. Um, We have a a program that we had worked on last year, Wildfire Hurricane Indemnity, that I think Congress is looking at right now, uh, putting some more money into a disaster bill. We're still waiting to see what that's going to be, but uh, there's some conversation about being being able to uh, address the flooding in that disaster bill where there may be certain provisions, either some prevent plant um, bonuses for for folks that, that are going to have issues getting crowded on the ground in, in flooded areas or to be able to address some of the grain bins uh, that got hit right now, uh, stored grain in a grain bin. Typically, property and casualty insurance doesn't cover it. It's after the crop production, so crop insurance doesn't cover it. Uh, and we've got some folks with some large losses. Not a lot of people, but boy, if it's you, uh, it can be a large loss uh, on those grain bins. And that's going to take uh, being able to have some some dollars in a disaster bill uh, and some authority in a disaster bill for us to be able to address those situations. Well, Bill, let's get your thoughts on this disaster, Bill. We've been struggling, it seems, to get one across the finish line. I know you have a lot of contacts up there on Capitol Hill. What's your read? Is one going to get get finished here before too long and actually assist uh, assist some growers? Well, I sure hope so. In some ways, I think it, it uh, tells you how much uh, most folks think there will be support or there is support for a disaster, Bill, because everyone thinks it's going through, so they want to get their can't pass item onto this disaster bill. Um, and that is enough that some folks are dragging their feet. And so so I think as I talk to folks uh, and as I hear from folks, everybody wants it to pass. They want to support it. Uh, they just want it their version, and they don't want other, other folks' stuff on there. And so that's what seems to be hanging this up right now, um, that – that uh, I believe uh, if you could find um, an, enough, uh, you know, enough to be able to get it passed, um, everybody wants to support the generality of a disaster bill. Everybody wants to support these folks that were hit by um, by hurricanes last year, by hit by the flooding this year. Um, they want to, to have support, but they others want to have other things on here, and so that has kind of overwhelmed this and caused there to be a hesitancy. So I would have guessed that this would have got done before before the Easter break. It didn't. Um, I would have guessed that it would have had a good chance the week after Easter. Well, we're in the middle of that, um, and or the week after their Easter break. Um, and uh, as of right now, I don't think there's a piece that I see out there that's that's got enough support out of both the House and the Senate to be able to get past. So uh, we're into next week, and I don't know what it looks like for sure on timing. We are answering questions from them. Uh, a lot of folks that want to see uh, some additional provisions, whether it's permanent plant provisions or understanding how big the impact is from uh, either the either the flooding in the Midwest or the hurricanes last year, we're giving them ideas about what we've gotten for applications for emergency conservation program or emergency uh, watershed program. Both of those uh, funds are going to need replenishing uh, in this next disaster bill. We've shared numbers with folks. They're interested in being able to do it. Um, So 
I sense momentum, but but I don't know what that means for when it'll get done. Oh, boy. Boy, more waiting there for a lot of us who are kind of tired of waiting. But, Bill, I wanted to get your thoughts. You mentioned you were at some of the uh, the flood information meetings there after the Western Iowa floods, and you talked about some of the impacts that might happen if a disaster bill doesn't get passed. Bring us up to speed financially from a funding scenario standpoint. How are all of these programs at USDA sitting today? Is it a first-come, first-serve until the money's gone? It is. Uh, so emergency conservation program, I mentioned that cleanup of debris. Um, we had a lot of folks that accessed that uh, following those hurricanes this last year. A little bit of money still is is there to be able to go out, finish some of those projects, address some of the, uh, the early projects in the fl- flooding in the Midwest. Not enough money, we were sure, uh, to be able to address all the impacts that are out there, and then we don't know what the next disaster might be uh, as flooding maybe moves down the uh, Mississippi River, as it happens in other parts of the country. Uh, folks that are able to um, show us that they've had disasters that need to be addressed uh, can apply for those dollars, but we're going to run out of dollars at some point. Obviously, a lot of work that needs to be done. Uh, we encourage people to still apply, uh, therefore that gets them in the queue, uh, as well as we have some dollars to work on yet. The, the emergency watershed program um, often is a longer-term program, addresses some of the infrastructure. That usually is a city or, or other uh, government entity that applies for that, but addresses bridge approaches, other kinds of things that are impacted, in this case, maybe by flooding or hurricanes or other kinds of things. We're going to run out of money there as well. Um, there's a forest renewal program that that did not get enough money um, after we had a lot of trees that were pushed over in last year's hurricanes. Um, uh, certainly these new authorities, if Congress is interested in having us look at, at uh, upping prevent plant or or uh, doing something for grain bins, those are going to require new authorities. We don't have current authorities, either dollars or authority, to be able to respond to those situations. And I don't know what Congress will do at the end of the day, but there's a lot of folks interested, certainly some advocates in the Midwest, uh, for uh, uh, for those provisions. And, and I'm not sure what success they're having. I think they're having some success, um, but, but wouldn't predict what that's going to turn out to be. So barring that, we'll have folks that have uncovered losses and will have some expenses to get their land back in shape that we'll not have dollars for if something doesn't get done. I'm really sure something's going to get done. I just don't know when, Mike. Right. It's the timing is the frustrating part. And for a lot of these growers that are sitting on grain rotting and silt on their fields, man, get into your FSA offices, get your names on those lists and uh, some try to make some forward progress. Bill, before we let you go, uh, you're always working on interesting things. They're at USDA. Of course, not all of it's positive as we talk about this flood recovery, but uh, bring us bring us up to speed. What else do you have going on there at FPAC? Well, we're uh, certainly spending a lot of time on standing up the provisions of the 2018 Farm Bill, so everybody, all your listeners are aware, we had a Farm Bill that passed back in December very bipartisan way. Uh, a lot of those provisions come through our shop. I think we have uh, 18 um, different um, pieces of that farm bill that come through 
uh, either Farm Service Agency or Natural Resources Conservation Service or Risk Management Agency, um, and we're we're going through the process internally of putting some of those rules together, such that they go through our process, they go through OMB. Um, got some of those that are kind of self-enacting that we've put in place, made announcements. We've got some sign-up going right now for a conservation security program um, and uh, and EQIP and some of the other programs out there based on previous provisions with a few updates. Um, we're working hard on getting some of the dairy uh, margin coverage provisions out. I think uh, folks that we're limited on being able to apply for um, the uh, margin protection program last year because they had a different insurance product out there. They are in the process of sign-up. We'll see uh, in the next uh, few days, I believe, uh, some information going out to producers about what kind of credit they have from previous participation in margin protection coverage. They can use that. Uh, to get part of 50% of that back in cash or 75% applied to their next margin coverage. Got a, a decision tool out there on dairy margin coverage, um, what that what that will uh, cost in premium uh, and pay to producers uh, that will go out to produce, or that is available for, to producers right now as well through uh I believe a farm service agency website. They, I bet they could Google and uh, be able to find that in a search engine out there uh, right now as well. So doing a lot of those provisions, I do get out just a little bit as well. Was out in uh, some of our farming country in Idaho and in Utah last week. Saw some great conservation projects in some some country that doesn't look like some of my midwestern right. country. Right. Um, Very different just, when you get out just, west great project. Yes, you know, we're a big country. One of the challenges for um, standing up our farm bill provisions is, uh, for example, equip provisions. It's got to work in, uh, it's got to work in northwest Iowa, but it's also got to work in uh, southern Louisiana and and uh, uh, northeast uh, uh, Utah and, and all across the country with different resource needs, different structures. In some cases, we have folks grazing public lands and, and farming private lands and and uh, on Indian reservations and and all these things have to go into the consideration of what those provisions of those bills are. So um, great stuff, great crew that's uh, drawing that together, about 500 folks um, that are pulled into that farm bill process within USDA, both uh, folks that are here in D.C. and folks that come in on different provisions from our state offices and county offices that have specific knowledge on how we um, how people would be impacted by dairy provisions or conservation provisions or or other uh, other provisions in those farm bill activities, uh, crop insurance and other things. Wow. Well, you certainly have a lot on your plate, Mr. Undersecretary Bill Northy. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Always appreciate your insight and your input about what's going on there in D.C. I appreciate the interest, Mike, and thanks for uh, getting the word out to lots of folks. And uh, I enjoy listening listening to your interviews. Appreciate it. Well, there we go. USDA working hard. It's great to see people, Delaney. Uh, Delaney, you know, you had that conversation with uh, Secretary Purdue mm-hmm. on Monday. Talk to Undersecretary Bill today. It's just great. They're out there getting things done, working for the farmers, and that's something we love to see.
It is. And actually, we're going to be talking to, well, not us personally, but tomorrow our guest co-host is Gary Rasmussen, and he also chatted with a legislature legislator there in Michigan. So we're going to continue that uh, policy discussion tomorrow. Folks, I want to offer this up again. I know we've mentioned it before on the podcast, but if you'd like to guest co-host with us on a Friday episode, please feel free to shoot us a note on Facebook or on Twitter at Ag News Daily. You can also shoot Mike or I an email, Delaney at agnewsdaily.com or Mike at agnewsdaily.com if you would like to try your hand at podcast hosting. Absolutely. It's a lot of fun and it's a surprisingly little work for a guest co-host. We'll do all the editing. You do the fun stuff. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. All right. So check that out. Well, as always, find us on the web at agnewsdaily.com. Take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.